Are you going through a divorce with a narcissist? Have there been funny things going on with the money? Do you trust the information that you're getting? Do you think that there's something missing or something not being disclosed? If that's you, then a forensic accountant may already be in your future, or it may be something that your lawyer's telling you and you're coming here to YouTube or a podcast to find out more about what is a forensic accountant and do I need it? Today, I'm going to talk with my guest, Tracy Koning. She is a forensic accountant and an expert in this field. She's going to tell us what is a forensic accountant? When do we need them? Why do we need them? What they do? And what if you can't afford them? This is the most important part to me because so many of my survivors can't financially lay down $10,000 to figure this out. So she's got a solution for us. If we can't afford it, she's got the answer. And that's why I brought her here because we all need to hear this. So I'm so excited to bring her here. Um, my name is Tracy Malone. I am the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. And I am a coach, I'm a divorce coach, a narcissistic abuse coach, and I am here to help you. But today we're going to join Tracy for the Tracy and Tracy show. I've never had a Tracy on before. It's going to be fun. And we're going to learn all about forensic accountants. So stand by and let's watch what she's got to teach us today. Welcome, Tracy. It's the Tracy and Tracy show. I'm so excited that you're here. Well, and I'm so excited that we both spell the name Tracy the right way. That's true. That's true. It is a very good thing. And, and this is the first time I've had a Tracy on screen. So welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. Can you do me a favor and tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a forensic accountant, so I find money. Um, basically, I do financial investigations. And so my work kind of ranges from corporate stuff where companies are fighting over money and who lost money, who caused who to lose money, or where we have executives stealing. Mm -hmm. Um, I also do divorce work where I am trying to track down where money went, how it was spent, how much should have been in the accounts, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of any sort of litigation where there is a dispute about money and they need someone to figure out how much money is gone, missing, used, whatever the case may be. That's my work as a forensic accountant. And it sounds like a, a nerd number job. Like you have to be able to not only look at numbers, but go, didn't I see this? That's weird. And like putting pieces together that it's probably fascinating for you, but it would scare me. <laughs> sure. I call it, you know, I like to say I put together pieces of a puzzle all the time. And I do want to know you just called me a nerd, but I will accept that. You know what? A number nerd is different. Like I, I play Bunko with my girlfriends every month and I'm like, sorry, girls. I, I don't do numbers. I'm never keeping score <laughs> and I'm Fine. sticking with that one. So anybody that can do numbers is all good for me. So welcome. Let's talk about a lot of people get confused between a forensic accountant and what their role is. If you would, they think they're going to go find money in Switzerland or in Bitcoin. Is that what a forensic accountant does or an investigator? What's, can you define the two for people? So I sort of like to divide it into two pieces. There's work that a forensic accountant does, and there's work that a private investigator type does. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my work is really geared around looking at documents and bank statements, credit card statements, investment account statements, tracing money through those accounts and seeing where the money went and where it ended up, or if we have some money that isn't accounted for, you know, there was a, a withdrawal of $10,000 and we don't know where that money went. 
So I'm very document-based, whereas the private investigators will do more of what I would call a wild goose chase. You're trying to find out, was my husband doing business in Switzerland and therefore might he have had some bank accounts there or something like that? That's going to be more of the private investigator type. But I will tell you this, when people talk about, I want to know if there's an account in Switzerland, we really have to have somewhere to start. You can't just go into Switzerland blind and say, hello, is there an account here? The whole country. <laughs> right. You really need some more information than that. So, uh, you know, if someone knew uh, there was a particular bank in Switzerland that I, I heard the name of this bank a number of times, well, then that's a good starting point because you can use the legal system to um, get information from that bank, hopefully, about whether or not there was an account there in your spouse's name or something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of the distinction about what I would look for versus what the private investigator would look for. Very good information. Like I'm thinking we said Switzerland, the Bahamas, like um, Cayman Islands, Bitcoin. These are common places where people can like hide money. But as you said, it's not like if you had it and said, there's a city bank in this city in Switzerland that you know, he's been to or some kind of clue because saying a bank in Switzerland is never going to get them the answer. Right. And, you know, there are banking secrecy laws that are stronger in some countries, like Switzerland is known for having stronger laws that protect the privacy of people. Mm -hmm. But I would never want a client to think that just because there was a bank account in Switzerland, that that means you can't ever access that money or ever get any information about it. There is there are avenues to be taken. Now, I'm not an expert in this because I don't work with international stuff um, on that level, but I do know that there are some avenues that can be taken. And it's important if, if there's a lot of money at stake and there's things going on overseas that you get an attorney involved who has significant experience with that country and will know who to talk to and what laws can be used to your advantage. Brilliant. That's a very valid point. Hadn't even thought about the lawyer that understands the country, but that makes a lot of sense. When someone's wondering about how do they need a forensic, like what are the clues? Like, is it just someone who thinks they're hiding an asset? Like, wh what are the things that we need to know to say, yeah, I need one? Well, so I always like to say by the time people get to divorce, they're usually suspicious of each other, right? And so more often than not, people who are divorcing, um, you know, if let's say you're the wife and your husband has been the breadwinner and is uh, has been in charge of the money, it's really typical for her to say, he's probably hiding money, right? We're all suspicious. We're all fighting. We're getting divorced. But I like to say, okay, so so let's talk about that. Do you have some specific knowledge or some specific things that you can point to that happen that cause you to be suspicious? Or is Chad just a jerk, right? Chad might just be a jerk, um, but that doesn't mean he's stealing money. And so I am looking for red flags of fraud, meaning what kind of signs have you seen? Was there a change in his behavior? Was there a change in his spending patterns? Did he get more secretive about money? Did he ask you to sign some unusual papers? Were there some transactions that just didn't make sense that he couldn't explain? Did he stop letting you have access to the online bank account, right? So I just rattled off a whole list. I could go on and on about red flags because there's, you know, hundreds of them that we could see. Yeah. But I'm going to ask the person who's suspicious, do you have some specific things that you can point to that seem like warning signs to you? And if you have enough of those, that's when we'll start to say, mm, yeah, maybe you better have a forensic account and take a look.
Yeah. And, and, and I know a lot of people because in, in a narcissistic relationship or divorce in this case, where there has been an imbalance of power in the financial part, like one spouse knows nothing. One has all the online access. They don't know where retirement is. They don't know like where the mortgage is. They don't have any clue. Um, and they always have the distrust. Like, I mean, it comes right out of the box. If you didn't know, and now they're asking you, fill this out. What are your bills? What do you owe? What do you spend? And you're like, I don't know. Like they automatically go into some sort of, I think they're hiding. I don't know because they don't know. Right. Um, well, so what I say in those cases is, you know, there are lots of families where one person is in charge of the money and the other person is hands off just, you know, Oh, that's, that's not my thing. I'm not a numbers person. And so it does, there doesn't always have to be nefarious activity. So if you were the person who wasn't involved with the money, your first step is let's get you some knowledge about the money. You don't automatically need a forensic accountant. How about we start trying to gather the bank statements and the credit card statements and have you take a look and, and, and see what you see going on there before we escalate it to there must be money missing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my divorce, I was accused of stealing money, which in hindsight, I think is funny because they were in contempt. And I say they, my husband was in contempt six times for never producing one single paper, not even copying the 5,000 I gave in and said, here you go. That would have been fine too, but nothing. And yet there was this false allegation that I had stolen money. And I'm like, what you just said, I was like, well, if they had looked at them, they would have said, here's what's missing. Here's what's wrong. It was just this false allegation to just stir the pot up, but they had no mean on it because they hadn't actually looked at the statement. Well, so interesting because last year I worked on a divorce case where I was brought in to assist the husband in defending himself against the allegations that he had done something improper with the money. His wife was a very high earner. He was a stay-at-home dad. He paid the family's bills. She was hands-off with it. It comes time for divorce and she says, okay, where's all her money, all our money? And he said, well, we've spent our money. We had three different houses at one point that we were juggling. Uh, we did these trips. We, we spent on these types of things and the luxury cars and all these kinds of things. He's like, we're kind of at even, we don't have a whole lot saved. She said, oh gosh, that can't possibly be. You were stealing money and hiding it. And so I was brought in to prove the you know, to prove his side that, that there was nothing wrong with the money. And what was so interesting about this one was that the allegations were very vague when it came down to it. They couldn't actually, they, they didn't even have one transaction that they could point to and say, you did something improper with this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's super interesting. And again, that's part of the false allegations in any narc divorce, but this mm -hmm. is where it really, you know, ramps up. Is it more important like to get the forensic in the beginning or do we wait till like your your lawyers look at something and go flag let's call someone in what where's it easier for you to, to fit into the picture it's certainly easier for me early because i can help them help the attorney help the client figure out what documents do we need how do we ask for them especially if there's something like a small business involved 
or we're dealing with an executive with special perks and compensation and, and we need to make some requests for documents and things like that. I can help them with how do we word some of these things. When we get some documents back, I can look at them and say, okay, that wasn't responsive to that request. So now we're going to go back and say, thanks, but no thanks. Now we need what we asked for. Um, and so it makes it a lot easier if I'm in early because we have a chance to do those follow-up requests. If I get brought in too late, you know, I might sometimes be brought into a point where we can't make more requests because certain deadlines have passed or things like that. Or the other big problem that I run into is we're just under the gun and there isn't enough time to do the work that I need to do. Mm, really important for people to know because, right. you know, if this is, if this is one of your concerns, everybody, you need to talk to your, your lawyers and your team and make this decision. Because again, I have had clients as well that brought in at the last hour and, you know, oh gosh, look what we found and look what we need. Well, we can't ask them anymore. We're too far along, mm -hmm. but here's like, you found the smoking gun and you can't do anything with it because that would mean we have to request, we have to do depositions, we have to do the next steps and you know, it's too late. And so it's almost a, a big waste because you're not going to get what you could if you had the time. So that being said, don't ever assume it's too early or too late though, right? Even if you are far along in your divorce and, it, and, and you think, oh gosh, we're, we're probably too late. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Don't be afraid to approach a forensic accountant and say, how much time do you need for something like this? Um, for the work that I do, I will tell you that most of my projects, I finish between 60 and 90 days. And so, you know, there are people out there who maybe think, oh gosh, you probably have to have six months to do this. Not necessarily. I do a lot of work much quicker than that. And if my schedule permits, there are times where I actually have a project done in 30 days. Mm -hmm. So um, don't assume, ask the questions. Yeah, perfect answer. Thank you for correcting me. Um, I'm going to open the elephant in the room. <laughs> Forensic accountants cost a lot of money. A lot of victims of narcissistic abuse don't have a lot of money. What do they do then? So you're right. It It is expensive. And so, you know, I like to use the figure of $10,000. I mean, that's a pretty typical starting point for hiring a forensic accountant. Um, and so certainly if you're thinking about getting one involved, you have to know that there's enough money at stake mm -hmm. to make that worthwhile. And also there'll be, of course, attorney's fees on top of that to, to, you know, deal with whatever issues the forensic accountant finds. So yes, expensive. If you can't afford someone, what do you do? I came up with a divorce money guide to address this. So for a long, long time, it was, well, sorry, you don't have the money for a forensic accountant. There's nothing you can do. And I really hated giving people that answer. I really hated saying, well, there's a couple articles on the internet that you could go read. That doesn't help anyone. Mm -hmm. So I came up with the divorce money guide as a tool for people to look into the numbers themselves, even if they're not a numbers person, they're not an accountant, um, but to really walk them through using videos, written materials, worksheets, checklists, using all these kinds of things to walk you through what is that financial part of your divorce? What documents do you need to dig into the finances and figure out what's been going on? Mm -hmm. How do you get them? What do you do with them once you have them? Yeah. And that's why I brought you here because of this new tool, because while we explained what a forensic does, we're also saying there's limits. Now, what do we do? And your, your product, your entire thing is going to help people 
like be able to handle things, look at them. Let's say they're looking, they, they're following your program and they go, I don't have, I think we said Citibank before. I don't have that bank. Why is there a transfer? Then does the uh, forensic potentially come in and go, let's just look at that one transaction or that like lead, if you would? So with that specific example, what I would say is have your attorney send a subpoena to Citibank and see what comes up, right? Asking for accounts in the name of your spouse, your name, et cetera. Um, and so you don't necessarily always have to get a forensic accountant involved again. Um, it's going to depend on, you know, how much is that transaction? Is it a repeating transaction? Or do you find a bunch of strange transactions like that? I will say probably in the typical case, what's going to happen is someone is going to look at their accounts and they're going to take a highlighter, take a brightly colored highlighter, and they're going to highlight transactions that look wrong to them. Like mm -hmm. we never went to that hotel. Um, we didn't have an account at Citibank. I never knew we spent that much on this or wait a second. Why was there $10,000 withdrawn from the account? You're going to highlight those transactions. And realistically, um, the attorney can go to the other side and say, explain these transactions to us. So you don't even necessarily need to bring a forensic accountant back into the mix unless it gets more complicated than that. Wow, that's amazing. And, and so helpful because people need to know, again, we all become detectives. I don't care if we're good at numbers or not. It's digging up information. It's finding out what this means. And I remember going through my 5,000 pages and, and like meticulously just going, that's weird. That's weird. And, you know, again, they weren't producing anything. You said Citibank and one thing came to my house that was a thank you for opening your new Citibank credit card. Welcome to his name. And I was like, huh? Like, this isn't, we got that right before he filed. And I was like, what Citibank do you have? I don't have a Citibank, really, because I'm holding this piece of paper. And it never went further. They never asked him to produce it. We didn't, you know, chase him down. But clearly there were things missed in my divorce that would have helped um, kind of really get the truth about this picture. Right. And that's where we're trying to go with this. We're just trying to make sure that we understand the money and get the truth about where the money went. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's about is finding information. Knowledge is power, right? Yeah, for sure. So if someone wanted to buy your course and this workshop, how do they do it? So they can get access to the divorce money guide by going to divorcemoneyguide.com. Yes, we're trying to make it all easy. Um, so I'm on Instagram. My handle there, of course, is Divorce Money Guide. And the website is divorcemoneyguide.com. So it can be purchased there. Um, as soon as you purchase it, you have lifetime access to all the videos and all the written materials, worksheets and whatnot. Um, take your time, go through it. Uh, what's great is there's 10 steps. I like to say 10 easy steps. You don't have to do all the steps and you don't have to even do the steps in order. You could pick and choose. If there is a particular issue that you're concerned about, there was something with the tax returns. You have the tax returns and, and you need help understanding them you go right to that tax return step and just do that step. Nice. So it's sort mm -hmm. of like, you know, you, again, the overwhelm of numbers to people. And if that's all you need and, and you're like, okay, I need to know this. I need to do that. But not that. We don't have a separate business. We don't have rental right. property. Okay. I don't have to deal with those things. So um, really helpful. I'm so excited that everyone's going to get to hear about your product. 
Um, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really helpful. And uh, we'll put the link down below uh, so that everybody can find you at divorcemoneyguide.com. And um, we'll get them in to learn about this product. I think everybody that is in line for a forensic thing should check this out and see if this is a good fit for them. If they're willing to do a little work or for those that can't afford a forensic, this is a good option. Well, thank you so much for having me. I just look forward to helping so many more people with this tool than I could help one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what's got me really excited. It's just, you know, giving people access to more tools than they had before. And, and that's the key, right? I mean, this whole divorce world, there's so much overwhelm. There's so much. And we just have to educate everyone that there's something they can do. And this is going to help people. So thank you. And thank you for having me. It was great talking with you. Now, we could have talked all day and really given you so many more details as to what exactly happened in her life. We're just getting teeny little snippets here, folks, so don't be sending emails saying, well, why did she stay? Read the book. It's a very big book that's going to describe to you what it was like in her life and her unintended consequences to the children staying. Uh, we just don't think that this is going to happen. We think we're protecting them. And my goal today is to show you that uh, it doesn't always help the kids. You're better to get away and, and be the parent that grounds them than be the parent that lets them see that abuse is okay. My name is Tracy Malone. If you like this video, please subscribe. And um, you can find all of Alana's information down below put the links down there and we will see you again soon. Remember the unexpected consequences of staying when we think the children are going to be okay. Doesn't always happen that way. Thank you.